Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to uh, the Fanalytics podcast and our Fanalytics University series. So this is class two. This is really where we start to get to the the meat of the topic, as it were. And uh, today I'm joined by Doug Battle as my uh, co-host slash student. And I'm almost, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going back and forth. Do I, do I want to cold call Doug and ask him to recap class one? Or oh, are we gosh. still at the part of the semester where I'm starting or I'm trying to be kind of friendly on all this? Yeah, I don't, I don't review my notes from syllabus day <laughs> typically. So uh, okay. I promise I was listening. So class one was a roadmap for the course. And, and so if you're just jumping in, class one is probably worth listening to because it gives you some perspective on the overall project, on where, we're, uh, on, on where this came from and what we're trying to accomplish, uh, the, bi- the big picture. So there's, uh, and, and Doug's description is good. It's, it's like syllabus day from the first day of class back in college, or maybe they even do that in high school these days. Today we get into what I call the fandom research framework. So this is a framework I use to tie all of the course material together. Uh, As we go through this, you guys will probably get a sense that this course is a little bit different even in the world of sports analytics in that what I'm trying to do is put the business analytics and the sports on field and player analytics all together. And so I use the framework that we're going to talk about today as this unifying structure to sort of tie everything together to make this all make sense. Okay, so that being said, the core concept of the class, and this goes to this notion of tying the business to the on-field together, is the notion of the fan. So the fan is the entity that ties this all together. Last time, I gave an assignment to Google Intense Sports Fan. Doug, have you done the assignment? I did. Yeah, it took a a lot of hard work, um, (laughs) but I was able to complete it over the last two weeks. Okay. And so let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you a quick question. Then I'll ask you what you, what you found when you did the, when you did the task. Sure. Were you surprised it, uh, you know, in terms of what you thought was going to come up, was it essentially what did come up? Um, well, the one the one thing that did surprise me is that there were no pictures of me that came up okay. <laughs> um, because I, uh, I certainly view myself as an intense sports fan. But no, I wasn't surprised overall. I mean, it, it was pretty much what I would expect when I think of an intense sports fan. And we'll actually we're, we're doing this as a primarily an audio format. We will have a couple of visuals that we will put on the on the fanalytics with Mike Lewis dot com. Right. Um, web page and so we'll give you a screenshot of what came up when we did the search at least so what came up Doug? yeah so for me you got um a lot of guys without shirts on um (laughs) and a lot of guys with paint on in place of shirts so that was kind of the the biggest trend often it's groups of people together if you type in intense sports fan it's still going to show like an entire student section or a group of college football fans or NFL fans all in a group together. Um, usually it's something a little bit bizarre for these ones. So the first picture that came up for me 
was this Boston Red Sox guy who has like a baseball hat on. And when I say that, I don't mean like a baseball cap. I mean a hat that is sh- like shaped like a baseball. So it's a baseball hat and uh, with a Red Sox logo. And he's got the Red Sox logo painted across his um, sizable belly. And uh, he's got a Red Sox jersey unbuttoned so that he's revealing his uh, his chest to the public. So that, that was the first one that came up. And uh, that, that kind of set the bar for everyone else. Yeah, I mean, he's... Look, I'm with him 100. percent I hope he is embracing it. I'm hoping. I hope that he is proud of his uh, of his position because, in some ways, he he's he's hit a new level in terms of this. That I've been doing this search for about the last uh, six months. Whenever I give a talk, and he always comes up number one. The and I think your description is. I don't know that there's anything I could add. I mean, that you pretty much you pretty much nailed it. I'm looking at the picture and, and, you know, the one next to that, at least when I did the search, looks like it's uh, looks like it's a group of students at Duke. And for the most part, they they have clearly invested in a lot of blue body paint. Right. Yes. They uh, they do that thing where they point at the player who's throwing the ball in. And I've always wanted to go to a game at Cameron Indoor. But uh, those guys are definitely some intense sports fans. Yeah, and, and I mean, uh, and across the board, every picture there, there's some real there's some real similarity. Um, these folks, uh, you know, even though the first individual that comes up is a is a solo shot, <coughs> most of the images come up. These these folks are absolutely in groups. They they tend mm-hmm. to be in the stadiums. They're enjoying the sports event as a collective, and I, I think that's probably an important part of fandom, right? That they are going crazy in a group, not in a, not in a solo activity. Um, and absolutely. The other, the other thing that always comes to mind when I look at these pictures is that they are signaling affiliation, Mm -hmm. right? They are going out of their way to let you know who they care about. Right. I mean, you said it. he's, he's wearing a Red Sox Jersey. He's also painted the Red Sox emblem or one of their logos, on his chest, you know, the, the Duke kids are all wearing Duke blue across the board. Everyone is wearing jerseys. They're wearing helmets. They are, you know, they, they almost look like they're a, a military unit, right? They are in some form of a uniform that says what they are. Right. And at least half of them are yelling or screaming in some fashion. Yes, they are. And, and that's the other one I look for in this. The, the other one that really resonates for me is passion 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 really fanaticism right they are putting their emotions out there they are the most passionate group uh, the, the the most passionate group of people on the planet in a lot of ways and it, th- this imagery is how i arrive at why fandom is an important issue it's why i've devoted a big part of my professional career to studying consumer and fan loyalty. You know, there, there's always this this old adage, right, that the people that show up are the ones that win. I would want to modify that and say, you know, the people that win are the ones that care the most, right? So it's not just showing up, it, it's passion. And so fandom is this incredibly powerful construct or this personality trait. Um, and so this is what has motivated me to go down this path of studying fandom from a from a truly academic. And by that, I don't sometimes I don't even really like the word academic, but to study fandom in a really rigorous, very careful uh, way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the other thing I like to do, you know, to sort of really hammer home the, the importance of of this construct, this concept of fandom, is to even think about where it exists. My, my starting point is that this notion that fandom is this incredibly powerful uh, personality trait or or emotion, right? The, this this commitment to some cause or some entity. As I'm, you know, starting that starting out the course, I, I will also spend a little bit of time talking about where where fandom exists. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking primarily about sports in this class. But this type of approach of understanding this intense consumer loyalty and also understanding, you know, when I, when I talk about this, the on-field or the player analytics side, this is really also about understanding the, the analytics of the performance. 
So then the question becomes, is this just, is this just sports or is this something that can occur in, in other arenas of life? And so I, I will go through the, the class. And so since I have a class of one dog, I'll, I'll ask the question of where okay. does sports fandom exist? And well, where does fandom exist? Does it exist in sports? Yeah, it definitely exists in sports. But you're asking overall, like what other um, areas does fandom reach? Well, and so if, if our starting point is that we care about fandom, because this is an incredibly passionate group, a subculture, then where else is, does that passion exist? Okay. Where else is, potentially as a business person, I'm teaching out of a business school, where else can we harness this to improve our, to improve our business performance, to improve our bottom line? Okay, So sports is the obvious one. How about sports, entertainment? Okay. Yeah, entertainment. I think about um, like musicians and the the fans in the audience at concerts doesn't look too different <laughs> from sports fans sometimes um even films i mean you think when you talk about subcultures i think about something like star wars um where it's almost like its own religion at this point star uh, wars yeah. yeah yeah it's actually funny that you say that and maybe you maybe you're not even aware of this um and this this is a little bit of a unintentional detour but Star Wars, and uh, when you say the, it's its own religion, there was a time period right around the millennium, and it was I think it was down in Australia and New Zealand, where there was this trend of people listing Jedi as their religion on the census for those countries. Right. Um, so, so absolutely. <laughs> um, how, about, uh, how about gaming? Gaming. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something I haven't thought of, but I mean, you're right, and you know, for those that are aware of where gaming stands as far as, you know, in relation to the entertainment industry, um, it's, it's quite a profitable industry. And that's because there's a lot of people who view themselves as a gamer. They identify as a gamer and they enjoy that. And they, yeah, ultimately they're a fan. Well, you know what? I, I think that's actually a really interesting way that you said that. Um, so I, I think there's definitely this this intuitive notion like sports. Absolutely, there's fans, entertainment, musicians, movie stars. Definitely, there are fan communities. You know, Star Trek might be sort of the original modern day fan community that academics pay attention to. The, the right. Trekkies. Uh, gaming is something that has evolved well beyond, let's say, the Atari of my youth to the point where, where gaming almost represents interactive entertainment. Yeah. And so this, especially now this world of esports, it definitely seems like this is something that also is creating these fan communities, these communities of passion. Yeah, how, about, how about politics? This is, and, and this one, when I'm doing this with 60 students in the class, you can almost see some of them start to get a little uncomfortable. Yeah, everybody starts starts getting a little little concerned that something's going to be said that could get someone in trouble. Um, so I'll try not to say one of those things. But <laughs> okay. um, absolutely with politics, again, it's something that people find identity in. Um, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. You know, I'm a gamer. I'm a Georgia fan. I am. A, you know, it's 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 an identity for people. Um, and then there's this. And you and I have talked about this some, uh, even on the, the podcast, but there's this allegiance that can be, <laughs> I mean, objectively, if we're looking at the other side, at least, um, from whichever side you're on, there's an allegiance that, that can be a little bit blind in the same way that sports fans can be, where it's like the other team's probably cheating, but my team doesn't cheat type okay. of thing. And, and I love where you're going with this. And, and as you guys listen this is one of these. Uh, this is one of these moments where you know someone says something in the class, like the, this idea of not just my allegiance to a specific party, but what it implies for how I how I view the other team or the outgroup mm -hmm. is something really kind of interesting and really something kind of fundamental about all this. Okay, then the last category I will ask about is how about. And, and, and again, this comes back to the, you know, I'm, I'm teaching this in a business school. So how about standard brands and products? Can people be fans of those? Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. and, and now I see I, I'm interrupting Doug on purpose because it's the, I think the question of can you be fan of products and brands 
is an interesting one. It's one that kind of gives the mind pause. Uh, I like to interrupt at that point and, say, and actually propose a test for fandom to really kind of clarify how much, you know, how willing people are to identify with some entity, whether it's, again, a team all the way through a product, and be a passionate supporter of that. And this is what I call the clothing test for fandom. Uh, so then okay. my question comes back to Doug. And you could do this either as a yes or no, or as a probability of how likely you would be to, to, to wear uh, an item. Um, would you wear clothing, a jersey, a t-shirt, um, for, well, number one, for a, uh, for a sports team? Yes, of course. Absolutely. Probably half your wardrobe is UGA uh, t-shirts, right? <laughs> Yeah, either them or some player, you know, from a professional okay. league that I really like. Okay. You got a Todd Gurley jersey? <laughs> I don't yet, but I'm going to. Oh, you could get the Falcons one? You didn't oh, I was the, going uh, to if they if they had done uh, the uniforms how I wanted them. But, you okay. Know. I throwback, right? Yeah. Um, how, about, how about a t-shirt for your favorite film franchise? Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not wearing it right now, but just, literally... Half the shirts in my rotation are Star Wars shirts, so okay. I'm that guy. Okay. Would you wear a T-shirt for one of the major candidates for president? I personally would not, um, but a lot of people would, and I see that all the time. It's saying you see the bumper stickers too. Same how about, kind of thing. How about for your favorite game? Got game. a Candy Crush? You got a Candy Crush T-shirt? <laughs> No, um, that's not my favorite game. Um, you know, I'm a sports guy, so most of my favorite games are sports related anyway. Um, but I'm trying to think. Well, that's kind of interesting. Would you wear it if you came up with a T-shirt for NBA 2K? Would you wear that? Oh, yeah. I would definitely rock that. Um, I love 2K. That's, I mean, you knew my favorite game just from knowing me. But Okay, and then the last one. So are there any products or brands out there where you'd be willing to... Uh, Throw on the T-shirt and, uh, you know, and maybe there's even levels to this question, right? Would you be willing to pay for the item of clothing? Yeah. Uh, and then would you be willing to wear it if you received the, uh, the, the T-shirt for free? Yeah. So the, the first one that comes to mind is kind of interesting uh, as it pertains to, you know, your area of study because Nike's a brand where I, will, I have multiple shirts that are literally like just Nike. And then my favorite hat. Um, is this black hat and it's just a Nike logo. Like it's not a team. It's not, it's just the brand Nike and I like it. I like their logo. I like, uh, you know, I don't know. I like their products, but at the same time, I do realize that my favorite teams also wear Nike and there might be some identity that, that I associate, um, you know, maybe at a subconscious level. Uh, see, this is beautiful. I'm, I, I can tell I'm having an influence on you because you're starting to talk like the, the professor. <laughs> that with a lot of athletic clothing, yeah, I, I, I have a real preference for Adidas, frankly. Yeah. Um, that, you know, we like these logos not just because of the aesthetics of the clothing, but also because of, you know, something about what these, what these logos, what these companies represent. Um, the, the Nikes, the Adidas, Reebok, I think those are easy ones. How about, the, how about some of the other elite brands out there? Apple, Brand, Google, yeah. Starbucks. <sighs> I, I mean, I will see Starbucks shirts. Um, Apple's kind of interesting because... They have the whole like sticker thing where people will put they like every product they sell they they give out a little Apple sticker and people put them on their cars and on their laptops and um, that's kind of how people identify as like an Apple person. Um, I'm not. I'm a fan. I don't. Okay, wear and, and again, not, or, I don't want to interrupt you too much, but but I love that because I, I don't think I don't think you were mimicking the professor as you said that there were people identify as an Apple person. And I think that's a that's a that's a great way to end this 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 segment, right? That in some ways this this clothing test just indicates what people are willing to identify with. So whether it's the Dallas Cowboys, if mm -hmm. it's the Star Wars or the Avengers movie franchises, or you know the the old school Metallica or ACDC mm -hmm. T-shirts, right? Um, wearing a T-shirt that indicates that you played, you know, Defense of the Ancients or Overwatch or, or whatever the the hot game is at the moment. Wearing a Trump 
2020 you know, Make America Great Again hat or a Bernie mm-hmm. Bros t-shirt mm-hmm. all the way down to I am a proud user of, you know, of Apple products rather than those terrible kind of nerdy PC, <laughs> I don't have a Dell, is uh, I think a great exclamation mark to put on this, this, this issue of identifying and starting to think about where fandom comes from and why it matters. Absolutely. Okay, so the, the core of this episode is really the core of the course, and that is a framework for doing uh, a framework for considering fandom. So a fan analysis framework. This is also one of the visuals that we are providing to you on the on the blog. Uh, the, the visual, I'll verbally describe it pretty quickly. It is a circular shape with uh, analytics and intuition being at the core. And then around the periphery, we've got what I've considered the four components of fan analysis, which are number one, foundations, stories and narratives number mm-hmm. two uh I, I just label it meaning this is really about consumer behavior so meaning colon identity community and relationships number three is the, the big idea number three is measurement uh, number four is what i call extensions and sort of going beyond the the direct elements of fandom okay so what i want to do in this portion is just talk a little bit about each of those. And again, we're, we're still in the, we're still in the portion of the course where we're, we're setting the table. So, uh, this is, this is class two. Our goal is to provide this overarching framework in class three. We will start to dig into one specific element of the framework. So the, the first one here is something I label foundations. And when I think about foundations of fandom, I come back to the notion of stories and the narrative. Stories and narratives. So, Doug, let me ask you a real, real kind of quick one. Sure. What do you have a story related to your fandom? Uh, a favorite moment, and, and you know, maybe, maybe it's sort of a quick one. A fa- a favorite memory or story related to sports in your life. Yeah, a quick one that comes to mind is uh, I won this biggest fan competition where I got to go to the Rose Bowl for free to watch Georgia-Oklahoma. Okay, so how did that game go, just out of curiosity? It was the best game in uh, in Georgia history, and I was on the front line painted up, and uh, the game-winning touchdown and double overtime was right in front of us. In, in terms of other Georgia fans, is the trip to the Rose Bowl a shared story? Yeah, I mean, I think the stadium was probably 60% Georgia fans, and I, I run into people all the time that were there, um, and even more people who wish they were there, because it was such a legendary day. Okay, and, and the reason why it's legendary, or a big part of the reason why it was legendary, I mean, so on a personal level, you've got this element of you want a trip to go out there, right. you are painted up, so there, there's these idiosyncratic personnel elements to this but the fact that georgia was playing in the rose bowl had to be an incredibly unique experience for all of georgia fandom right the rose bowl is typically the uh, big 10 champ or historically has been the big 10 champion playing the pac 10 champion Mm -hmm. so for georgia to go to the rose bowl and a trip to pasadena was probably something incredibly memorable and incredibly special for the for the georgia fan base correct yeah it's probably something that may never happen again and it's the only time it's ever happened you know in my lifetime and so um, in that same year we played Notre Dame and it's like when does that happen you know when you play at Notre Dame Um, so yeah it felt like a once in a lifetime experience absolutely and I mean that that Notre Dame story that was the game in Chicago or out sorry in the Midwest yes it was in the Midwest that's correct and Notre Dame Stadium one of the the hallowed halls of uh college football was largely if i remember the tv shots was largely uh red and black so these things these really kind of special moments are what they're they're shared across generations of georgia fans now you were at one of the games but i'm guessing whether the georgia fan is 75 years old or 15 years old it's a shared memory right Mm -hmm. it's 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 something that is a, a part of the collective now why I put this as foundations, because I, th- I think this is such a core element of fandom, is why were those events special? Did you guys beat Notre Dame? 
Yes, we beat Notre Dame. We also beat Oklahoma. So Okay. Um, Very quickly, you won both games. Now, again, the fact that you guys got to play at Notre Dame says something about the Georgia program, doesn't it? That was a marquee game for Notre Dame, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that was the, the ticket prices for that game were the highest of any game that season. Yeah, I mean, it says something about Georgia. It also says something about Notre Dame. So foundations of fandom are the stories. You know, it, it's the, the narratives that, that fans show. And this could be anyone. It doesn't have to be Georgia. There's going to be these memories, these, these special events. If we sort of decompose why they're special, it's like, well, what creates these memorable stories? Mm-hmm. It will almost always be these sort of big time events. You guys won the Rose Bowl. You won at uh, you won on Notre Dame State. You won in Notre Dame Stadium, and turned it from you know the the gold of Notre Dame to the the black and red of of Georgia. And the reason why you guys were able to do this, and this is why I start with foundations, because I think this is where the connection really comes in, is because over the last few years, Georgia, and again, mm-hmm. I don't want to be sort of Georgia centric, but Georgia has been incredibly successful. So whether it's professional sports and the front office building a program that that wins consistently or college football being able to go out there on the road and bring in top-tier talent and be competitive, the stories are where the knowledge of the front office staff, the analytics if they're employing them, create the stories that create the fan bases. So that is always my starting point is this idea of stories or narratives across the fan base. Number two is something I label meaning slash identity, community, and relationships. So the second element of the framework is explicitly focused on the consumer, okay? On the sports consumer. It is a, an explicit focus on the psychology or the sociology of sports fans, right? So mm-hmm. if you think about how these, these elements relate to each other, um, the foundations are sort of the fodder, the, the raw material that then becomes something important to uh, the way consumers think about themselves, um, the way that groups are going to form of like-minded fans. And, the, and based on those two things, the focal or important relationship that then develops between uh, sports fans and whatever entity. Since we're talking about Georgia, and again, <laughs> it's kind of one of these, uh, for those of you listening, it's like whenever you teach a class, a lot of the class ends up being directed toward the more outspoken, outspoken students. And so in this case, since we've got a hardcore Georgia fan who has in fact painted himself up, a lot of the, you know, I've only got one student, remember? A lot of the examples are going to come from uh, out of, you know, Athens, Georgia. Okay, now, in terms of identity, community, and relationships, I'm not going to say a lot more about them today because class three will be all about fan psychology. So that is where we will really drill down into this incredibly important topic of essentially what is going on inside the fan's head. How does fandom work? How do fans start to connect with with each other to form? So again, when I'm teaching this in class, and you guys will hear it a lot next time, I will say the following words again and again. Identity, community, and relationships. Okay, and so again... When I'm thinking about this framework, and our big goal for today really is to kind of get this 30,000-foot view of how do we we think about fans. So again, to make these linkages very explicit, since we're doing this in an audio format versus sort of more this audio-visual format as a live class, just appreciate this direct linkage between what is happening in element one, where we're concerned about the the foundations for this, so the stories of the games, right, the legends that are created over time, how those end up being the key elements that create the types of fan psychology where people want to identify as a as a fan of, in in our case, the Georgia Bulldogs, the Chicago Cubs, the Los Angeles Lakers how they have a desire to share these stories in communities and how they end up having a fairly intense relationship with you know not another person but a, but a team right mm-hmm. so do you have a relationship with the Georgia Bulldogs Doug? I do and you know when you talk about sharing uh, an experience it makes me think about like why do I pay money 
to go to the games, you know, when, when there's such a good view on television and there's so much comfort. And it's not for the view or, or any of that, really. It's for the experience and the shared experience with other people around you that, that value the same thing that you value. So I really see what you're saying as far as the shared experience. Though I will say that, you know, maybe you, maybe the worst thing that I can do to a sports fan is actually start to decompose fandom in, fandom into cultural elements and psychological elements because it really might make you question why you are spending that money to enjoy <laughs> this relationship with the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I'm getting uh, got. <laughs> okay. Um, so num- number three, the third element of the framework is measurement. Now, measurement is important in everything, right? If, if you can't measure something, you can't really, you can't fully understand it. And in sports, measurement has an enormous history, right? I mean, when we talk sports and you start sports analytics, very quickly you get the you get to sports statistics. Mm-hmm. One of the amazing things about going down this path, uh, for those of you interested in sort of the money ball, let's say, side of sports, is the amazing amount of data. I mean, Major League Baseball is probably the best example of it. And I could get some of the details wrong here, but but I believe there may be pitch by pitch data, or at least a bat by a bat data uh, on everything that's happened in Major League Baseball, readily accessible on the web going back more than 100 years. So in terms of sports, part of the measurement tends to be pretty easy. Like we can we, we know how many games the Boston Red Sox won in 1904, right? If, if they mm-hmm. were the Red Sox at that point. Um, we know how all the different players perform. So measurement is very straightforward for a lot of sports. But when we talk about the fan side, suddenly it becomes much more vague, right? So if I was to try and measure your fandom, Doug, for the Georgia Bulldogs. Right. Or or potentially, let's say, even your fandom for the Chicago Cubs. You know, maybe I'm interested in, you know, sort of the, the teams you care the most about, but I also want to understand the teams that you might care a little about. Right. How would I measure that? Oh, man. Um, so, like, quantitative measurement. This is, this is cold calling, folks. <laughs> um, you could look at the number of dollars I spend. Each year, that that's a good one. That's a very businessy kind of answer. The number of dollars that you spent on each time, on each on each given team, that's right. a good one. What else? Um, the amount of clothing I own. Um, okay, that shows that dollars I identify merchandise. Yeah, oh, I'm trying to think. You could look at my social media and see which ones I like interact with the most. Good. Um. <laughs> I'm like running out of things here. <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're doing well. And you're picking up one of the interesting things is you're picking up a lot of observable elements, right? Yeah. So the number, the social media that you follow, um, it could be the number of engagements you have. I mean, you know, you can always think of these things on multiple levels. So do you follow the Atlanta Braves? Um, how often do you retweet the Atlanta Braves or mm-hmm. like their content, right? Mm-hmm. So you can go from kind of these binaries to potentially these quantitative measures. I, I love the, the, the point about how much you spend on any given team uh, in terms of tickets. We could, we could extend that to other measures of behavior, right? How, much you, how many of the games you view, right? Mm-hmm. Do you catch these games on TV if you don't watch them in the stadium? So these are, these, these are all good measures. Now, my point about that you came up with observables is awesome. And part of me wonders if it's because you've we've had you've had too much exposure to No, I'm just myself I'm just myself really smart. Is, well, too much exposure to a really empirical guy like myself. <laughs> Maybe. Because a lot of where folks would go is just a very direct answer of, well, you have to ask them. So on a scale of let's say one to nine, how much do you love the Georgia Bulldogs, Doug. We'll, we'll do a little market research here. Oh, 10. 10, okay. Um, okay, so on a scale of 1 to 9, and you know, you, you guys do realize he uh, deliberately uh, defeated my measurement system. On a scale of <laughs> 1 to 9, how about Georgia Tech? 1, I guess, if we have to be on that okay. scale. Yeah. Which was, which was pretty predictable based on your first answer, right? Yeah. There's a... 
a, a pretty obvious negative correlation between those two those two entities. Right. Okay, so we can do sort of measurement now. One of the challenges, if we're so if we've got access to you as an individual, we can do this kind of market research. We can ask you questions. We can monitor your spending, monitor your social media, your social media. One of the challenges in sports, though, is we might want to go beyond just, let's say, looking at a sample of customers, a sample of fans, and maybe more big picture stuff. Okay, so one of the classes later on in the semester, and actually we'll do this far near the end of the semester, almost as a bit of a wrap up, is to try and understand the the brand equity. That's a marketing term which really just gets at the value of fan preference for a given team. So we will talk about measuring brand equity Hmm. to really move towards quantifying sports fandom. The other key thing in all this is once we can quantify the value of sports fandom, the value of these sports brands, and this is a critical, critical point, once we can measure this brand equity, this is going to be the thing that puts us in a position to try and figure out how that brand equity is formed. This is one of these critically important concepts in the class in terms of my approach to sports analytics is that if we can figure out how the brand, what the brand equity is, then we can start to work backwards and figure out how what the teams have done contributes to that brand equity. So this, you know, and you're going to, you start to see how all these things end up being connected. Mm-hmm. Um, who was George's last, and this is before your time, but who was George's last Heisman Trophy winner? Herschel Walker. Okay. What is the value of Herschel Walker towards building the Georgia brand? A lot. <laughs> okay. But that's where we potentially want to go, right? What right. is the value of winning a national championship? What is the value of having a Heisman Trophy winner? So measurement and being able to understand the causal relationships between team performance and fan equity or brand equity is where we really want to end up in, in this process. Okay, number four on this list is something I label as extensions. Extensions are about sponsorships and associations. I love this one. And even though at this point, this is this is a almost indirect effects related to... So everything we're talking about before is sort of very direct effects. What happens on the field affects consumer psychology affects how much fans love and how valuable fans are to the to the team. So it's all about sort of the game. When we talk about the extension that we get to things like sponsorships and associations, now we're talking about what is the brand value, what is the value of fandom beyond sort of what is happening with that team directly. Now just this last month and for you know depending on when you're listening to this, so we're we're taping this on June 2nd. But in this last month, what has been the biggest sports story dur- during pandemic times, Doug? Um, probably the last dance. Okay. Michael Jordan. So the, the, the last dance. And so when you think about Michael Jordan, was he involved in any sponsorships? Yes. Very many. <laughs> Can you think of any of them? Yeah. And, and again, and, sorry, I want to point this out. And again, I don't want to speak over my student here. But Doug is... How, how old are you, Doug? 24. 24. So were you alive? You were alive for how many of the Bulls championships? Um, technically, I was alive for two of them. Okay. But I, I mean, I wasn't watching them. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I was born in 96. So that's so, one that so, I was alive for technically. So post, largely post Michael Jordan as an active player, what sponsorships do you associate with him? Nike is the first one that comes to mind. Um, Coca-Cola. Um, Wheaties, I believe. All right, I'm trying to think beyond those couple. I'll, I'll help you some. Yeah, Haynes. Haynes, uh, yes. Gatorade. Gatorade. There's Ballpark Franks. There was McDonald's, and and so Jordan is the prototypical example of an athlete whose brand equity, right? And and again, this brand equity comes back to fan preference for this guy. How this these positive feelings are able to provide value beyond just getting people to show up to the stadium, right? Right. Um, The Air Jordan might be the greatest sports sponsorship of all time, correct? Yeah, up up until this point. And what a steal for Nike, by the way, if you watch that documentary. (laughs) 
A- absolutely. Well, you know what? I don't know if it's been a steal the whole way through. Well, but at, the, initial, at the beginning. At the beginning. <laughs> the initial <laughs> price was great for Nike. I don't know. Do you know what does a pair of Air Jordans cost? Ooh, well, it depends on which ones. I mean, I would say bottom end would probably probably be like a hundred twenty dollars would be like the cheapest okay. ones you could find. But okay, I mean, now let me let let let's stay there for a second. So, hundred and twenty dollars. These things flying off the shelves, or at least moving off the shelves, right? If you take away the Air Jordan label from that shoe, what is that shoe worth? I mean, they're at Target or Walmart, and they're worth like. $15 or if you're asking how much the material's worth it's probably less than $5 okay and, and so this is this is kind of an open question it's like we, we don't really have the counterfactual but if you take away the Michael Jordan branding from the Air Jordan what happens to the price that people are willing to pay plummets okay and, and so we'll just put that out there as a thought experiment at this point in terms of and it's probably going to vary quite a bit you know some people might like it you know, maybe $10. Other people might say, well, I'm not buying these at all. You know, maybe $90 mm-hmm. uh, is, the, is the value. But that is really kind of an interesting phenomena when you take a step back and think about fandom. That the legend of Michael Jordan, and again, sort of connecting all these, the, and The Last Dance is a great example. The stories that are associated with Michael Jordan, they have created these fan communities and these issues of identity that now enable Nike to sell shoes for, you know, $10, $20, $50 more than they otherwise could. And we can even wrap it back to that third one of saying, you know, it'd be kind of great. And it were, you know, if you were working at Nike and had access to all the data, it'd be great to be able to actually figure out what the, me- figure out or measure that value of that Michael Jordan brand. Okay. Um, but beyond really kind of the, the greatest example of sports sponsorship, think about how common sponsorship is across all the leagues. Um, where do we're, we're sitting here in Atlanta? So where do the Falcons play? Mercedes Benz. Okay, so it's not Arthur Blank Stadium; it's Mercedes Benz. So there's a sponsorship there. Where do the Braves play? Well, this is a this is a tricky one at the yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think I got this. So. A few years back, Turner, and then it was yeah. SunTrust, and now it's Truist. Did I say that right? I think that's correct. Truist, yeah. Okay, and so sponsors, and look, if you go to a game, if you've been to, uh, and I think especially like baseball parks, do you see signage for brands throughout yeah, that it's stadium? Yeah, like, it's like the whole outfield. Yeah, it's everywhere. It strikes me that there's probably more than 10 brands that are being advertised within the stadium. Yes, and I will um, throw this one on there. Auburn prides itself in having the biggest scoreboard in college football, and I remember the first time I went to that game, and they they used two-thirds of the scoreboard just on advertisements. And so the actual screen shown replays is the same as any other stadium, um, and then you've got two big screens with, with advertisements on it. But it, So it's not just baseball. I mean, this is, this is oh, every oh, sport. It's, it's not. I mean, you know, the, uh, the, the first sport to really – return to popular uh popular exposure was nascar right and nascar is notorious for having brands everywhere you know the m&m car the tide car whatever it is um you know one of the things that's you know kind of a fun trend to watch if you're sort of a student of all this is how uniforms are evolving Mm -hmm. um in general american teams have avoided putting sponsors directly on the uniforms uh I think, you know, Major League Soccer in the U.S. has moved more towards that with with patches. I think the NBA has done some of that now. The NBA is doing that now, yes. Do all the teams have patches in the NBA? Oh, man. I'm just thinking. I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know that every team does. Um, I know teams like the Rockets, the Trailblazers, yeah. certain teams do. If they don't, they may be in the process of selling it, and maybe you've got some holdouts. So, I mean, like the idea of branded patches on, on uniforms – is a tough one, right? And so at, for an American sensibility, can you imagine the New York Yankees putting, uh, I don't know, Citibank or Ford Motor Company on their, on their pinstripes? You know, but it's probably something that we will see occurring over the next few years. Yeah, it would be weird. Also, I am seeing every NBA team does have, um, does have okay. patches, which is crazy. But I mean, you got like 
Harley Davidson on the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, General Electric on the Boston Celtics uniform. Bumble Which for is the Clippers. Kind of, yeah, kind of an interesting one where some of those, like uh, Harley Davidson trying to do sort of more of a local tie-in with uh, with the Bucks being a, a Wisconsin or a Milwaukee company. Right. My, fa- my personal favorite is Rocket. Uh, the brand Rocket, R-O-K-I-T, sponsoring the Houston Rockets. And they have a red and black logo, too. Is that the mortgage company, or is that something else? I have no idea what they do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That's kind of perfect. The The danger of sponsorships of <laughs> Doug has seen the sponsorship, but doesn't actually know what the company does. Sort of the one of the hidden dangers. A lot of times, sponsorships are really we'll talk much more about this are based on exposure so just how many times people see the brand right but seeing the brand and understanding what the brand or the brand proposition is may be very different yeah if you think about the marketing funnel um that uh, people teach in business school they have me at the awareness phase and they've just had me there this whole time and i keep seeing it (laughs) okay the last element and so at this point we've worked our way around the the outer circle this framework at the core we've got this idea of analytics. Now, throughout the course, I'm going to take, my my approach to analytics is a little bit different from other folks. So I think the the tradition, as much as there is a tradition in this relatively new discipline, is that analytics are all about the statistics. Um, Advanced analytics are creating new statistics. It is about pulling a bunch of data using some of the more, you know, you'll hear if you go into this field, they'll want to know, do you know how R programming or Python programming to being able to sort of crunch the numbers. Mm-hmm. One of my things that's a differentiates my approach from this. Well, and to be honest with you, I've been in, I've been in decision support or analytics for the better part of the last 30 years. So my, whenever I teach analytics, it doesn't matter if it's marketing or sports, I will always come back to the notion that we need to consider multiple types of information or multiple types of knowledge. The, let's say the, the ex-athlete that grew up playing the game and had a 20-year professional career, they've got the equivalent of a PhD in sports, right? They've got the, the equivalent of being a PhD in terms of quarterbacking mm-hmm. or in terms of playing soccer. Um, what they may not have is sort of the, the let's say, the, the backgrounds in statistics or the ability to do these analyses. These things need to work together. Mm-hmm. Okay, And so traditionally, perhaps, in the absence of advanced analytics, pre-advanced analytics, when they're deciding on what player to draft, it's gut feel, right? You're watching tape. You're listening to scouts. You're deciding what to go. There's a lot of knowledge in that, and that should never be discounted. Now, over the last 20 years, uh, the statisticians, the the techs have come into sports and they've crunched a lot of the numbers and they've come up with a lot of, you know, truly great insights to do this correctly, right? And think back to what's going on in the framework, sort of this idea of better decision making analytics is at the core of creating this, this cycle of creating stories that build fan relationships that then allow us to extract all sorts of value, how do we do that? And my feeling is that we really need to combine the, you know, say the PhDs and based on experience with the PhD level knowledge of being able to, to crunch the numbers. That is also going to be a, you know, so later on in the course when we talk about the sports analytics side, we've got three classes planned. One is going to be based on player performance analytics, Another one is going to be in-game statistics and decision support. And then the third one, critically, to wrap this all together, will be to focus on how do you actually use the analytics, the statistics, to improve decision-making. Because there's always, you know, it's not just going to be the models and the numbers. It's going to be those combined with the human experts. Absolutely. Okay, I want to I wanna end the class. And when I say end the class, it's going to be sort of a little bit of a, a long ending, let's say, <laughs> is with some comments about related to how to study these topics. Okay, this, Doug, is an intro course. Okay, right. this is our starting point. You could do a dissertation on sports analytics, especially the way we're doing this, where it's a combination of 
the on-field with the business side. I mean, this is a big, big topic. And, and you know, like you look at me, I, I've largely built a career around this, right? right? So this is a really deep and complicated topic. Um, beyond that, and, and as we enter the course and we start to proceed into things in more depth, I also need to point out that this is an incredibly interdisciplinary topic. Now, you guys can probably also get, you get the sense of that based on our discussion uh, of the framework, right? We've already mentioned issues related to consumer psychology, and we've mentioned issues related to statistical analysis. So more than just you could build a career around this, you could build a research team to entirely solely focus on the topics of the course. So with, with that in mind, what I want to end today's class with is some discussion of the underlying academic disciplines that are going to support what we're doing. And again, come back to this notion, this is an introduction class, so part of the goal of an introductory class is to point folks in future directions, right? right. So as we do this, as we cover each of the topics, I want to give you a hint in terms of the directions that you might want to go if one of the topics is of really kind of special or critical uh, critical interest. Okay. And again, this this is almost going to be more in the form of a, a list. And I think we've also got a visual for this list of topics that you can reference on the on the blog as well. And these are these are given in no particular order except for number seven on the list. So when, when I think about approaching fan analytics, fan uh, the analysis of fandom. Even though I'm a quantitative guy, number one on my list is the topic of psychology. I think that psychology is the right starting point because fandom is, when we, when we put it under a microscope, fandom is almost a strange thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got a passion for the Georgia Bulldogs. I've got a passion for the University of Illinois basketball team in particular. Right. The question becomes, you know, why do we have these kind of relationships with these teams in our lives? And so fandom is this, when we put it on, like I said, put it under the microscope, it's a strange phenomenon. So I think we've got to start with some notions related to psychology. Um, in particular, you know, some of the things that will come up in the class are issues related to identity theory. Right. I've mentioned I'm going to say the word identity a lot. Um, when we talk about decision support, understanding cognitive biases, and this, this goes back to this notion of how do we combine the, let's say, the deep knowledge of the general manager with the analytics produced by the statistician. Mm-hmm. Um, this issue of how people make decisions and how people may make suboptimal decisions will become, will become critical. Um, number two, and just what we said, that sometimes when you think that Fandom is a strange thing on an individual level. Well, guess what? When you think about it on a group level, this is also kind of an, an odd event. So when you guys go to a Georgia football game, are you there alone? No. Usually not. You're there. I have, I have yeah. done it before <laughs> to get in the building. But yes, usually with family or friends or you know college friends from back in the day. Okay, so definitely a group. But, but even beyond that, so the groups occur at different levels, right? So your family kind of fan collective, you know, the, the Georgia fans within your family and friend group are there. But there's also 95,000 of you, right? Yeah, that's my really big friend group. Okay. And, but it is a group. You guys are all dressed in the same colors. You, there's probably a lot of face painting going on. There's this shared knowledge. You guys are, in fact, a, a tribe. Right, you are a collective group that is into this, and so you know. In other parts of fan analysis, is being able to understand those. I I think the the discipline of anthropology, which is largely about studying human subgroups, uh, subcultures, is incredibly relevant to studying fandom to understand why these groups form and how these groups function. Um, number three on my list is economics. Right. And one of the classes we will talk about is something I'll call the rules of the game. And so, especially in terms of pro sports, when leagues de- determine sort of their rules of their rules regarding the things that determine competition, free agency, drafts, salary caps, a lot of this is 
best understood by understanding the, well, in, in terms of economics, uh, the, the subtopic might be called mechanism design. So you create mm -hmm. rules, you create structures that then play out in terms of how the league is going to operate, how the teams are going to compete with each other. Um, in a more layperson uh, way, you could also say economics comes into play because issues related to finances, salary caps end up being critically important for the operation of most for most teams. Number four on my list is statistics. Okay, this comes back to one of the elements of the framework, this idea of measurement, this idea of being able to look at data and understand the, the causal relationships. Okay, and so again, just to re rehash as I work through this list, uh, fandom may seem like a trivial topic to some folks. My, my argument is that it is an incredibly important, it's an incredibly powerful concept. Uh, in terms of the academic disciplines that are relevant, we already got psychology, anthropology, economics, and statistics. I mean, so this is really a a deep a deep concept that we can potentially benefit from throwing a lot of tools at it. Um, I'll also throw optimization in there. So my background, going way back, is in applied mathematics, trying to figure out what are optimal courses of action. I came out of a discipline called operations research. Okay, now this idea of figuring out optimal courses of action, does that strike you as a phrase that's relevant to sports analytics stuff? Not if I weren't talking to you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, then let me, let, me give you, let me give you an example. I'm on the 45-yard line. There's two minutes left. I've got, I'm, I'm down by four points, and I've got a half yard to go. Do I go for it on fourth down? I certainly would. Okay, that's an optimization problem. Now you're you're making your decision based on gut feel, right? Yeah, pure instinct. Would you feel Would you feel better about that if you had a bunch of data to support the th to support the decision making, and you almost had a, a model that told you whether or not you should go for it? Yes, that would uh, that would give me some peace of mind. At least that's something for the press conference later when they're criticizing <laughs> me for going for it and it didn't work, and I say, hey, the the data said it, it was the best option. So, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I really like this sequence because I do think there is this tendency to, you know, for light bulbs to go on in terms of how, how we think about sports, right? And so there's always, there, there's a bunch of different decisions. When to pull the goalie? Do I bunt to try and advance the runner? Do I go for two? Do I punt or go for it on fourth down? Across just about every sport, that are really optimization decisions. And again, it, it's a hard thing to let go. You know, it, it's hard to get someone to overcome their intuition, which might be another term for cognitive bias, and actually <laughs> make the decision that the data supports. Okay. Uh, number six on my list is marketing theory. Um, and in particular, marketing becomes valuable to the study of sports analytics because at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do, especially when we put the lens on, the, the, the sports fan will always say, we're trying to win games, we're trying to win championships. But if you're the owner of that team, you're trying to build a franchise like let's say the New York Yankees or the LA Lakers, right? Mm -hmm. You're trying to build the brand, build the team, build the, build the, what's the word I'm probably looking for? I mean, I was thinking the product. Okay. I was going to say the franchise, right? So you're trying to build the franchise. That is essentially you're trying to build that brand, right? You are trying to have the success on the field that creates this, you know, and again, if we're talking about consumer products, you know, Coca-Cola is going to talk about the brand. If we're in sports, you know, they're going to talk about building the franchise, really the same thing. Yeah. I think it goes back to the fact that the best products kind of market themselves. Um, and if you look at a team and, and their performance as a product, it's a lot easier to market a winning team than a losing team. And so teams like franchises like the Lakers and like the Knicks that have a winning history tend to sell themselves um, less so on social media gimmicks and more so on, on their storied history. So teams are trying to create that history. What's great about that answer is you are 80% of your way to this MBA with a marketing concentration because you really do get it. Right, this this idea that the products sell themselves, right? That the the quality of the products, frankly, and again we can sort of put this in a neat bow, 
the quality of the products creates the stories, you know, whether it's an experience with Coca-Cola or driving a Porsche that then essentially create the consumer demand. That's, that's what this is all about. So that's perfect. Uh, the last one on my list, and the, I, I, I put this one last for a reason because it is so closely connected to the world of sports analytics at this point, is programming. And so if you have ambitions to get into this field, this is likely going to be one of the first questions that you are asked. What are your data skills? Can you go out there and scrape data from the web? Do you know SQL, which is something called standard query language? You know, do you have the ability to take a bunch of data from potentially different sources, put it in a coherent framework, and do the analysis? So it becomes the probably the key discipline in terms of getting your foot in the door unless you've got a you know a great playing career you know, unless you've been in a, the MVP of the league and can sort of walk into any front office being able to be the data grunt and to assemble the infrastructure because that's really what this is about the infrastructure that you need to support the decision making and i will say this that there are really at, at this moment, and this is uh, this is something that evolves quickly from year to year. A few years ago, I would have said that the language you needed to learn was R. R is a statistical language that's actually available for free. At this point, I think it's been largely, and you know, largely. Let's maybe say the preference is seventy thirty towards a language called Python. Now, <clears throat> I put a special emphasis on programming for two reasons. So, number one. Again, to get your foot in the door, absolutely critical. Number two, it is to give the warning that in terms of what we're going to do in this class, I'm not going to talk about the. I'm not going to talk about programming. It is frankly a bridge too far in terms of uh, delivering this content via purely audio or podcast format. The other reason why I leave it out of the course, and, and again, you know. Doing programming via a podcast is something that's beyond my communication skills. Is that if you have an interest in it, this is one of these target-rich academic areas where I suspect you can find countless YouTube videos, uh, tutorials that will give you essentially training in in these programming languages of R or Python. So I think it is something that is very easy you're, you're sort of very well set up to pursue self-study in these areas yeah okay. so, so for me like i view this course as my intro to sports marketing and analytics um and i may supplement that with just a purely analytics or programming based course if i really want to get into the analytical side of sports like in front office perfect our goal is to give you guys the overarching framework and beyond that, to point you in directions for uh, further study. Okay, well, that brings us to that brings us to the close of class two. Um, so, you know, the point to today is really to come up with a structure for thinking about this key construct of fandom, this thing that is going to hold the entire course together. Um, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of keep repeating this point. The, the fandom is so key for me in all this because this is what really connects what happens on the field with what happens in the front office, which what happens from the business perspective. So it's what connects the play to the eventual and the important business outcomes. So, so last time I gave the assignment, and so like I said, I'm going to give you guys homework, though it's going to be pretty light homework, obviously. Uh, I gave you guys the assignment of reflecting on your fandom. Uh, we didn't talk about that today because I wanted you to sort of think about that sort of in raw terms and then think about it again after we've given you some structure. So today we've talked about this framework of, you know, in particular thinking about uh, how fandom provides meaning to fans, how the, the stories that occur on the field provide the basis for the identity that fans want to pursue, that they, they want to sort of reflect the team glory unto, them, unto themselves. So I, I want you to reflect on your fandom again, but in terms of the fandom or the fan analytics framework. So uh, again, a relatively simple assignment, but you know, 
take a relatively deep dive internally of, well, you know, it's not just a matter that you're a Falcons fan if you're here in Atlanta or you're a Cowboys fan or you're a Steelers fan or a Lakers fan. Think about how that came about. How did you get there? What were the key moments? You know, could be that, you know, a family member used to love the team. Could be, you know, that one of the championships was really kind of fundamental. So think about how you got to where you're at and then take another step back and think about it in terms of the framework that we have discussed today. Okay, so that's our uh, that's our that's our assignment for two weeks from now. Uh, beyond that, you know, as we've started to get into the meat of the course, uh, do want to sort of provide an opportunity for you all out there to engage with us in as much as in, as much as you would like, really. Uh, so for every class, there will be a blog entry that you know provides some highlights and some of the visuals for the class. The, the comment section there is where I think the engagement should occur. So if you guys have any questions, you want anything clarified, you know, just post the questions and I will, I will effort to uh, take a look at those questions and, and give you guys some responses. Uh, alternatively, I'm more than happy for you guys to uh, put stuff out there on Twitter. The only danger with Twitter is I don't, I don't know that I'll necessarily see everything. So the blog is probably a little bit safer in terms of us having a record. The other nice thing about it, and this is something that's important when you're teaching a class, is that if any of you guys have questions, guess what? You're not going to be alone. Other people are going to share that question. So it's really kind of helpful if I can answer those questions all in one place. Yeah. And just to remind you all, that blog where you can ask questions is fanalyticswithmikelewis.com. And uh, for those of you that want to engage with us on Twitter, um, the Twitter handle is fanalyticsmike. That's at fanalyticsmike. Um, and again, we're going to do the best we can to provide any answers. And uh, we, we really welcome engagement and, and spreading of the show. You know, we've talked before about potentially expanding this into, into something more with really a full curriculum. And I think the more engagement we receive and, and the more people we're reaching, you know, the more viable uh, that option is here in the future. So, um, again, we encourage you to engage. We also encourage you to subscribe to the show on the listening platform of your choice, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Um, please subscribe so that you will receive our uh, every other week Fanalytics U podcast as well as our uh, standard weekly podcast where we are discussing current events in sports through this framework. And, and hopefully that's something that can be helpful for you all as well. Okay, thank you, Doug. I, I think that that sums it up nicely. You know, we are doing this as a, a bit of an experiment. Uh, and so, you know, please engage, please help us spread the word. This is very much a passion project. Uh, and like I said, I don't want to keep coming back to saying it's an experiment or a beta, but we're trying to figure out how to do, do this kind of programming, this kind of course content via the audio format. So we'd love to hear from you guys. And, you know, we've got big goals for this. So help us make this work. And, you know, as we go down the path, uh, you know, maybe we can develop this into some sort of a certificate program or something, something even more. You know, one of the things that's happened in this past quarantine COVID-19 world is the world has changed in a lot of ways. Uh, we're going to embrace that and think, well, what kind of opportunities is this new world of of Zoom and podcasting and online formats? What's that going to allow for us to do? Um, so, you know, we're going on a cool journey. Hope to see you guys back for the next class or, you know, hope you guys are back for the next class to give us a listen. Uh, so talk to you again soon. Thank you. <laughs>